My name is Jake Knoll, the current president of the Rotary Club of Mesquite. One of the Mesquite Rotary Club's local projects is to bring holiday gifts to school children. The majority of children at the Beaver Dam Elementary School are below the economic poverty line. Join us by donating gifts for children ages 5 through 13. Donations must be received by December 10th. Please do not wrap your gifts. The teachers will choose gifts which have special meaning for each child. If you're unable to shop, monetary gifts will be used to purchase gifts. Thank you for your generosity to our community. If you have any questions, please call our gift chairperson at 805-391-4674. We will make arrangements for the pickup or the drop-off of gifts. Please make checks payable to the Mesquite Rotary Foundation. Thanks again. doing projects you know, when I could and we were doing a play coming up in the spring and so uh, I talked to teacher to let me work in class and she's like but you're not going to be paying attention I'm like yes I will she's like no you won't I was like yes I will so uh, she said all right we'll try it this one time I was seventh grade at this point and uh, so she presents it was social studies so she presents the lesson and then towards the end of the class she starts asking questions and so I raised my hand and it was it was one of the harder questions questions and answered it and she's like oh you're just so proud of yourself aren't you <laughs> and I was like I told you I can do this and, you know and, and even in my own home uh, my wife was gracious enough to let me put our studio in the family room so my family just kind of circulated around me while I was creating but I had some of the best conversations with all three of my kids growing up uh, while I'm sitting there painting. Painting is my passion but uh, my family is uh, what it's all about. Yeah. I see trees of green red roses too I see them blue for me and you, and I think to myself. Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. But I like to get to know you. Today I am lucky to have traveled to Vegas to the Domsky Glass Art Gallery, more specifically to interview Don Michael Jr. in his studio at Domsky Glass. It's a bit noisy as Don is painting. We've got some music playing. He's layering on some acrylic. Uh, there might be some people come by. So I hope you can bear with the noise for a really great interview. Thank you so much, Don, 
for inviting me. So I'm lucky today. I'm at Domsty Glass, and I'm in I'm in the Domsty Glass studio of Don Michael Jr. Is that right? Yes. Because you Don also Michael have Jr. one you just said at your house and your right. family reunion. So here at the Domsky Domsky Glass Gallery, I'm able to set up a portable uh, studio to work, and uh, because we do events here, I keep it portable, so we can break it down within 15 minutes and you know uh, have an event here. But uh, then also at home, I work because uh, not only do I paint, I also do graphic design, and so I have my computer set up there nearby, and then also uh, my uh, my painting studio, my easel, my art table, uh, all my art supplies, right there, ready to go. And you're working today. And Besides painting, you're also staffing the gallery. Right. So, so if, if a customer comes in. That'll become my number one priority, yes. <laughs> so what I do is, uh, Barbara and Larry Domsky, who uh, own the gallery and the studio next door, they have been gracious enough to allow me to be the resident artist here. And part of what we agreed on is I would also help to manage the gallery. So it gives me four hours a day, a gallery away from the house where pretty much me and whoever comes through the gallery, which is always a fun thing. I love spending time with people, talking about the art, talking about their art, my art, any art. <laughs> In our visit before with my wife, I had to drag her out of here. <laughs> yeah, I think she ended up buying a small piece and uh, one of our candles that we sell here too. Yeah, yes she did. Yeah. And she would have bought every piece in here except that <laughs> our retirement budget doesn't allow for that. Right. <laughs> Even though I do get a six-figure salary as a podcaster. <laughs> Six figures, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I remember whenever you guys were here, you were talking about several of my uh, paintings that are for the album art that I've and they sold life. Yeah, four of the ones. Uh, I think two of the ones you were talking about are no no longer here. So should have bought it while you had the chance. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's all this money thing. Yeah, I know, right? I get it. I totally get it. So I met Don when I was headed to a meeting over at. Um, Vegas Avenue, I think off of Decatur? Yes, it was, at, yeah. At the State Historic Preservation Office. And I passed on the corner, there was this guy. It was cold, he was bundled up. And I thought he was doing graffiti on a... Uh, <laughs> on a traffic box. <laughs> yeah, on a traffic control box. So I stopped the car, I knew he wasn't doing graffiti. So I went back and, and that's where I met Don. I was amazed you were... The beautiful work that you did on all of those. Thank you. Okay, and you just mix your colors from a palette. Yes. Yeah. So the city had uh, Vegas as well as Clark County have two different programs for painting the traffic boxes. One of them is called ZAP, which is with the city. I mean, with the county, and then AMP, which is with the city. And so just prior to COVID uh, shutdown, I had applied for the uh, AMP program, and uh, then it got put on hiatus. So right coming out of COVID's first year, uh, I guess it was the second year, so 20, early 22, 
So late 21 is when they reached out and said, okay, we're going to hire, I think they hired 22 artists that time. 22? So we did... I guess there's a lot of traffic control boxes. There are. Well, just imagine we did 225 that spring and you still see blank ones around. So it tells you how many there are. But uh, I was able to get seven locations, which included seven large boxes, and five of those locations had a small box with it. So what I chose to do and they approved was uh, Wildcats. But uh, what I do is I have this style that incorporates a lot of color. I'll just put the color down on the uh, canvas, if you will, first, and then I'll bring the Wildcat out of it. So all of those rich, bright colors are part of the cat's coloring. Uh, but then putting a focus on the nose to the eyes to where you're drawn to the eyes with a lot of the detail uh, ending up in the eyes to uh, kind of make it pop. And so, yeah, I was working on the one on, yes, it was Vegas and Decatur uh, that uh, I was doing a tiger there. And that would yes, have been, yeah, that was, would have been in late April, early May. And you're right, it was chilly. But what I did was I was wearing clothes because uh, light complexion in our family, uh, you know, long sleeves was a part of it even when we got into the May and June uh, month. Uh, as I was painting those. Uh, then I have a big floppy hat that I would wear to cover my neck and my ears and you know. Yeah, so I, like, who, who is this guy? Yeah, I look <laughs> quite the mess. <laughs> uh, it's funny, I would still post photos, uh, you know, about it, but uh, just like you said, I almost look like a homeless guy over there working. Uh, I remember uh, when Steve first met me, he was like, I, thought, I saw this homeless guy over here painting. <laughs> And, and that's what I looked like. But uh, yeah, it was a fun project and it's so rewarding because I still have friends come from out of town and they'll ask the addresses and thankfully with Google Maps, they can go find them pretty quickly. Yeah. And I just had a friend uh, here last week that she and her husband went and uh, went by six of the seven locations and posted it on Facebook. So once again, you know, getting it out there, uh, getting artwork out there, but also making the, the country aware that Vegas has a really wonderful public art uh, system that's uh, really coming into its own. Uh, it's artwork all over the place. I've also done a median wall. They've hired others to do several uh, uh, murals, uh, lots of traffic boxes. I believe Clark County actually started that with the ZAP program back in the late aughts, early teens. And we have them all over. I, I know hundreds of them now uh, all over the city. And uh, they keep moving forward with that. Uh, the Domskis, Barbara and Larry, just got finished doing one uh, a sculpture, if you will, a hanging sculpture inside the entryway at the municipal courthouse, uh, which was really a big, beautiful, with a huge budget. Of course, it had to be for them to be able to take it on. And uh, so, yeah, so the public art program in uh, Las Vegas and Clark County have really been doing some wonderful work. Yeah, it's beautifying our city. Exactly. It, it really looks good, too, driving around. My wife still, she, she'll have, if there's a new traffic box she sees, she's like, honey, slow down. Oh, we got to go around the block. I want to get a picture of that one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> um, and she was doing that even before I uh, was able to take on the project myself. <laughs> My friend Rochelle, she got a contract. Well, I shouldn't, she didn't make any money out of it. But in Mesquite, all the over
Overton Power District, not all of them, but most of the over the power boxes are done in a wrap. Yeah, I, I had read about that. Actually, I saw the call for art, but uh, I just wasn't quite ready to try to take something like that on at the time. Um, but uh, that's wonderful. So she was able to do several of them? Or? I think there's eight. Oh, okay. Good for her. That's cool. It's, it's a wonderful feeling seeing your art out there. Yeah, there's eight. Of course, she gets upset when uh, people say, well, I heard you made $40,000 out of that. Oh, yeah. Well, she made zero out of it. She didn't make anything? She made Oh, nothing. there was no budget for that one, huh? Okay. The, the budget was for the wraps. I see. Yeah. That's too bad. The artist should have gotten something. Uh, whenever uh, recently I actually got... Uh, accepted to do uh, one of my paintings was used for a wrap for uh, parking meters downtown so in the new area downtown there's I think seven or eight of us artists that were accepted and there's uh, we're getting like three each but there was a nice stipend uh, for the licensing of our artwork and uh, and it's for the duration of the artwork which is fine Uh, but as an artist every little bit helps you know because uh, well there's not many artists that I know. I think I know you now. You, <laughs> yeah. You make a living out of art. And, uh, you know, the way I look at it is I'm paying the mortgage each month. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm content because this is what I love to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And to be able to pay the mortgage doing it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a friend who just, he's an artist in Mesquite. And he's from Minnesota, and and he made a living, but he made a living out of um, doing cartoons. Okay. Uh, and he worked he worked for some other companies making covers for boxes that uh-huh. sold things and everything. But he's he just turned eighty seven yesterday. Okay. And he does some amazing. He just still does some amazing. And that's art. the thing about art is this is what I'm going to be doing when I'm officially retired. You know, and yeah, when you get older. When I get older, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, and you know, I'm already at the early retirement age, and it's like, uh, but I'm kind of retired as it is, if you really think about it, what I'm doing. Um, so I'm not going to say that, but you can say that. Yeah, well, retired in that this is what I will do when I'm retired. Yeah. I'm going to paint. I'm going to... Yeah, you're already, do, you're already doing your retirement. Yeah, I am. While I'm still out, you know... <laughs> Trying to make ends. And I get to watch it today. What are, you, what are you making right now? I'm doing another one of my uh, uh, album art series. I call it the Pop Americana series album art. And uh, today I am uh, working on uh, Nora Jones okay. from her uh, Come Away With Me album. And, uh, and just... I love to do artists that I love that had an impact some way or another in my life, but also some artists that just they impacted uh, music as it was, or as we know it now. You know, for example, I did one for of Elvis Presley when I did that, and that one is sold. Um, but I did, instead of having the black and white photograph from his first album, I used the image of him, but cropped everything else out and did it in color. The colors that were on the album were pink and green for the lettering and everything else was black and white. Well, I used that pink and green to represent 
uh, Elvis, but then I had concentric rings in the background going out because the impact that that album had and still continues to have even to this day, the, the ripples are there. Um, so each artist, each album, I kind of reinterpret. I still want to let you know that that was the album cover. So like Nora Jones here, I'm using a lot of warm colors because even though she has that smooth, cool style, uh, I, I just felt like there's this warmth that radiates from her music that I've always appreciated. And so this one is going to be entirely uh, on the color uh, on, on the color wheel. You would see it from red to yellow. So red, red, orange, orange, yellow, orange to yellow. Um, it's called an analogous color scheme. But uh, it also gives me the opportunity to kind of reinterpret uh, the artwork, if you will, because I'm basically reproducing someone else's art and I don't want it to be a reproduction. I want it to be a, uh, a tip of the hat to the art, tip of the hat to the music, uh, because I love them so much and it's, it's just something that I so enjoy doing because a lot of times I'll be listening to the music that uh, uh, I'm painting the artist of. Today I've got it more on uh, uh, some of the older uh, rock and roll, but uh, Nora was definitely on while I was concepting this album. and. Uh, Let's see, I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones. Well, it looks like it looks like you sold my favorite Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin got sold last week, yeah. She, she had been nibbled on a few times, and she was fun for me to do because what I did was, that was once again a black and white photo on her live album. Uh, it, was, it was called Joplin, or Joplin in Concert, and uh, but I reinterpreted it by making her psychedelic colors and kind of inversing the darks and the lights, but not totally, to where your eyes knew exactly you were looking at Janis Joplin, and to her warmth and personality came out in there, and even the joy in that photograph, but at the same time the colors were more psychedelic from that feeling that I tried to emote from the late 60s. 60s, uh, early 70s. I believe that album came out in 1970. Um, and you weren't born yet, were you? Yes, I was. I was nine years old at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know who Janis Joplin was at that point, uh, growing up in a very uh, strict Christian household. But uh, once I was able to get out on my own and discover music, I just totally uh, absorbed everything I could about rock and roll history, uh, what, what it represented, and seeing how it impacted one artist would impact another artist impact another artist to where then I was you know when I was discovering music uh, Van Halen was my favorite uh, uh, Bob Seger's uh, Against the Wind was coming out uh, you know Boston had already been out for a few years but I just to this day when I hear anything Boston it's like window needs to be open my arm needs to be hanging out and it needs to be like spring because that, for me <laughs> that represents like okay spring is here you know especially uh anything off of that first album which once again that one came out in 75 which was you know four years before i was able to find it if you will i heard it in the background but never being able to focus on it as a as a as a person you know 
Well, tell us about little Don before you became a person. Uh, before I became a person. Where were you yeah. born? I was born, uh, my family's from North Carolina. My dad was in the Navy, so I was actually born in Portsmouth, Virginia on the Navy base. Uh, funny story about that is I was born what they call in the old, old hospital, and then my sister was born two years later in the new hospital, which is now called the old hospital, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I kind of was able to come full circle in life because in 2000, 1999, I moved to Norfolk, Virginia to be an art director in television there, and I could walk three blocks and there's the pier and I could see the old hospital across the Elizabeth River at Portsmouth. So uh, it was kind of a cool kind of yeah, cool where circle. Yeah, where you started. Where I started. That's where I started. Yeah. And so uh, then uh, growing up, uh, we grew up uh, in, uh, of course, I don't have any memories of the uh, living in uh, Virginia Beach and, and Portsmouth uh, growing up. But then uh, we moved to Connecticut. My dad was in, uh, in the Navy, so he went to the uh, school the up there. He was in the submarines. And he did uh, the... Uh, Tell a, I forget. It's basically it's typing and it's uh, oh communications. We'll just call it communication. Yeah. And uh, so he went to school up there in uh, I believe Groton. And while there, I do my first memories are of that trailer park up there. And uh, then uh, we moved to Maine after he got out of the Navy. And that's my first years, you know. Uh, really coming into my own six, seven, eight, nine years old, we lived in Maine. So I remember the winters there. I remember having fun as a kid there. And that was when my dad uh, became a, a, a pastor. So he uh, was going to a Christian school up there in a small town of Rockland. And uh, we uh, then moved and he got his uh, church in an itty bitty town, maybe 1,200 people, uh, South Hope. And so uh, we lived there for three years. And then uh, when he left that church, we went back to where his family and my mom's family are, which is in uh, North Carolina, small area, uh, Selma, Smithfield, uh, small towns, I mean. And they're right in between Raleigh and uh, Kingston. So it's right there on uh, Highway 70. And so spent the next four or five years in that area, moved around a little bit. And then my dad got a church in uh, Texas, in the Panhandle, a little... That sounds like a change. It was a big change, yeah. We moved in 1976. Uh, at this point, there was six kids, uh, my mom and dad, and we moved in a little Dodge Dart, pulling a U-Haul from uh, North Carolina to uh, Texas Panhandle. And to avoid going over the Appalachians, they went the Southern route. And then it's funny because as we were going up through Texas, uh, probably near Denton, uh, the water pump blew. Uh, actually, the, I guess the uh, fan went into the radiator. So here we were trapped on the side of the highway. Uh, and uh, Grace just 
enough, I mean, people were gracious enough to stop, help my dad get to the next town, the whole nine yards. And next thing we knew, we were moved in, in Skellytown, Texas, itty bitty uh, town uh, near uh, Pampa, Texas, I guess would be the closest bigger community. And then we lived there for, we're at that church for two years. And then um, he moved us to, uh, we moved to White Deer, which is nearby in Texas. And then we ended up in Elk City, Oklahoma, which is where I then graduated high school. And while I was there, uh, and, and that's, you can't get any more west in Oklahoma, really, off I-40. Uh, you're like 20 minutes from the border, the Texas Panhandle. And whenever I graduated there, then I went to a small uh, college in Chickasha, Oklahoma, uh, called the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. And that's where I spent the next 20 years. Got my degree, spread out over 14 years, worked in a factory, uh, met my wife. We had our oldest son. And uh, then uh, whenever I graduated college, which was in 94, my second child was born uh, that spring. And then a year later, the factory would, my plan was to retire from there at 45, house paid for, cars paid for, all that stuff, and uh, just paint, do what I love to do. Well, as seems to happen my whole life, God's always got a different plan. <laughs> and so the factory got bought out by Pillsbury, shut down. And, but thankfully, uh, Bill Clinton had just put into place what was called the Job Training Partnership Act. So any, because so many factories in the U.S. were closing at the time that they realized that people needed help. And so they had a retraining program. And I was able to focus on desktop publishing and uh, programs like that. And through books, so supplies, I was able to get a small computer, get some programs, do it at home. And within a year, I was working for uh, Channel 9 in Oklahoma City as a graphic morning graphic artist. A year later, I became the senior graphic artist. And then two years later, I was hired by the uh, affiliate uh, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia to become the art director. So that was uh, the uh, CBS affiliate. And then three years well, later- that was a big move. It was a big move for my family. Uh, and there's a long story that goes with it, but uh, uh, we ended up moving the family to, but we had several management changes at that company in those three years, which regrettably in the aughts started happening in television. And uh, they chose not to renegotiate my contract after three years. So suddenly I was without a job, having moved my family all that way, just bought a brand new home. Uh, and that's when I started painting again to help myself deal with all of that during that time. So over the next six months, I was painting, putting out my application, trying to get, you know, work around there because I didn't want to move my family again, but nothing landed there. And then, uh, grace of God, we ended up with a wonderful opportunity to move here to uh, Las Vegas. Uh, it long, it, 
first conversation I had with the hiring manager, we... And that was at a TV station. It was at a TV station. It was the NBC affiliate here in in, uh, Las Vegas, Channel 3. And uh, Dale Wyman was the the marketing director or uh, creative services director. And he and I connected on the phone right from minute one. We just just had similar passions, similar uh, ideas about how things should be done. And so they hired me. Uh, We moved the family then uh, in 2002. 2003 to uh, Las Vegas. With the U-Haul behind you and the Dodge Dart? No, that time, uh, thankfully, I was in a professional situation where <laughs> we moved a family in our minivan and the uh, Atlas uh, <laughs> moving company was uh, a day behind us. <laughs> so uh, we moved to Vegas and I was art director at uh, Channel 3 for the next six and a half years. And uh, then uh, during that period of time is when everywhere in the nation that every TV station was forced to go digital and in the process of going digital all of them went into debt and then 2008 so the government didn't help them out no the FCC was forcing them to do it it was basically that and they had a deadline to do it and then of course then 2008 hits the bubble pops and we have all the issues well all these TV stations were suddenly in debt up to their eyeballs and sales was dropping to nothing and so all middle managers basically in television throughout the nation were let go so it was a challenge then to find other work elsewhere and at that point I was tired of it I'd been doing the, that job for uh, going on 12 13 years a lot of deadlines on that job is... always and, and uh, so the graphics we see yes the graphics you would see on the air what I was responsible for was the overall look at the station which was not only the uh, animations and graphics but also the look of the station outside so the signage the vehicle oh, wraps yeah. the vehicle uh, uh, anything on the web of course the web was still new in the early aughts enough to where we were still figuring all that out so that was changing constantly and and the two TV stations I was art director at uh, were always looking to change the look of the station which you want to gather a look and then stay there because people by the time we're tired of it they're just now starting to notice it but uh, regrettably especially in Norfolk they just never found their identity the three years I was there once again so many management changes Uh, but thankfully we were fairly stable at uh, here at the NBC affiliate but then uh, when the economy went south those jobs just ended and uh, they they cut I forget how many dozens of people were uh, removed from that station as well as all through uh, the market but uh, I would be responsible for what like I said the overall look at the station so I would create what's called the graphics package so then the graphic designers would work within that box if you will so I was responsible for creating that package and uh, also even when I first moved here they wanted to change the logo of the station so uh, I changed the logo and one of the cool stories that comes with changing the logo is I got what 
what was called a Broadcast Designers Association Gold Award for that, which is an international, uh, we would meet every year in New York, and to be acknowledged a local affiliate, that was really quite a, a coup for me. And then a couple years later, me and Dale Wyman and, and, and C.J. Boisford, we were, uh, who was the promotions manager and one of my dearest friends, um, we ended up getting a uh, Emmy together for a package that we were working on together. So, yeah, so well, it was. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So, and I'm lucky that yeah. Emmy winner. I think you're a first. <laughs> well, that's cool. And it makes a beautiful paperweight, you know. <laughs> uh, it's so funny because I have friends that, you know, when they come to visit, if I haven't seen them in years, they're like, well, where's the Emmy? I want to oh. see the Emmy. I'm like, you didn't come to see me. You came to see the Emmy. Uh, and it is it is in my uh, studio area, but not necessarily an area of prominence. It's yeah. just uh, there. Interestingly enough, that BDA means more to me because it was chosen by peers of mine, artists around the world, uh, as a gold winner. And that was the, I think, PBS Kids logo was one of the gold winners. You know, so you can see it's national and international. Uh, uh, Not that uh, you were in competition for, but, I wasn't, but it's... I wasn't in competition, but all of us were in that same group together, and you get a gold, silver, bronze, or you don't. Um, and I was excited to be nominated and then to arrive and find out that I received a gold. Yeah. And a funny story that goes with that that I have to share is when I was in Norfolk and they chose not to renegotiate my contract, we had just gotten a new boss for me. And we hadn't really had an opportunity to get to know each other. But in the process, I was already starting the process of creating the new logo for their station. And it was a ch number three. And so I had started the process, but when they told me that they were not going to renegotiate my contract, I then said, I'm done with the logo. I, I just, I didn't want to move forward because basically I was out the door. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so they took, they just had one of the graphic designers finish it up and I air quote finish it up. And what they did was not anywhere what we were going for. And uh, regrettably, it just wasn't very strong. So fast forward two years and I've now moved to another station. I've redone their logo. I've been in New York City, I've uh, gotten the gold award, and the after party, we're at a bar in, in the Marriott, in the 8th floor, they have a really nice bar up there, and I saw one of my dear friends that worked in television as a promotion manager, she actually helped me to get that job, or let me know about it, and uh, anyway, she said, hey, you know, so I ran over there, gave her a big hug, and I had my, hold my trophy in my hand, and, and we're talking and getting caught up, and then there's this lady sitting beside her, and I said, I am so sorry to take you from, you know, your, uh, I said, my name's Don, and she looked at me, and she said, you don't remember me, do you? And, it, and I said her name, I'm not going to say it here, but I said, oh! and it was the lady that had chosen not to renegotiate my contract. Oh. So, and she was very gracious. She's like, congratulate. And I was gracious back, you know, because, you know, we're professionals and television is a small 
business, you know, small family. Um, but uh, I will admit there was a little bit of a gotcha kind of feeling uh, in, in that moment, which I didn't plan. It just happened, you know, that I'm just celebrating in so much joy, so happy. And then to have her see this could have been us kind of a thing. Uh, it felt really good. <laughs> it was serendipity. Let's just call it that. Yeah. <laughs> Vegas. I moved here in February, but I wasn't able to bring my family out till June because we wanted them to finish school. school yeah, to finish the school I've year. The and I was looking for a house here while we were trying to sell the house there. And so that whole process during that time, I did. I painted every night. So I'd work during the day creating, you know, graphics and animations, and then I'd go home at night and paint. And I was just doing uh, this series that I had little eight by tens of masks because uh, I have this huge mask collection, and I have this passion for masks that goes back to uh, in art history learning that the Cubist period uh, was almost started because of a big uh, show that they had had of African mass in Paris at the time that impacted uh, Picasso and uh, Brock and several others at the time. And, and if you look at some of the early Cubist style, you see the masks. Yeah. Uh, so those planes and, and then looking at it you know, from different angles, that all happened uh, from the mass. So anyway, when my brother was in the Navy in the 90s, uh, my baby brother, 16 years younger than me, and when he was heading out, he said, what would you like? I said, bring me a mask from somewhere in the world. That'd be fine. Well, by the time he got out of the Navy, I had nine masks from yeah, over, yeah, yeah. over the uh, Pacific Theater. What a nice brother. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. Well, when he uh, finished out of the Navy and uh, got, he used the GI Bill to go to college, got his degree in accounting, uh, when he graduated, uh, one of his gifts was uh, a painting of one of the masks, the first mask that he ever oh, sent okay. me, with an uh, image of his submarine in the background, oh, okay. because he was a sub guy. Oh, so he followed your dad. He followed my dad, yeah, in that. Uh, I don't know how those guys could be in a tin can under the water for weeks at a time, but... Yeah, they, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like being in an enclosed area for five minutes. I can't even imagine for weeks at a time. But uh, uh, so appreciate his service but because of him I now have that started something where friends of mine would travel I'd get a package from Peru or I'd get a package from uh, Djibouti you know mass from oh, all oh, over the so world got, so that's that's your mass so uh, and, and then I bought some you know from different locations that I would go but I've always stayed in continental US I mean I was in Canada once as a child so I've never traveled 
outside of the U.S. Uh, so uh, my mask collection is kind of me living vicariously through others traveling. And so there's like 75 masks now in my collection all over my home. And That's okay. They were there. Yeah. And you got to touch them and you got to hear the story. Exactly. You get to hear the story. since you've been there. Exactly. Yeah. I guess uh, as far as uh, my... Let's see. Well, whenever I went to college, like I said, I went to University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma, USAO. And uh, I loved it because it was a liberal arts college. So it gave me a, a broader view of the world, if you will. Uh, I loved uh, I loved history anyway. I loved uh, sociology. And so I was able to kind of gather, you know, all of that. But then whenever... They didn't have what was called a Master of Fine Art or a Bachelor of Fine Arts program. They had a Bachelor of Arts. But to get the hours, they created a program called Bachelor of Arts with professional emphasis, which was the equivalent of a BFA. And so I then had to choose a focus. And my focus was silkscreen because I loved working with silkscreen. The first time I ever did silkscreen, 1981, 82, I... I realized, oh my God, I, I know what I'd love to do now as an artist. I'd always love to create, but I just never had a focus. And it had to do with breaking down the planes of an image to be able to, with silkscreen, because you're going through a screen and you could have only hard edges, um, so you create the look of depth and feel by how you juxtapose color beside each other. And, and uh, so I loved breaking everything thing down into planes and uh, then whenever I went into television and then started painting again after that I was still doing that style but then I decided I needed to push myself so I started using brushwork smoothing out you know uh, fading colors in uh, all of that which you would normally associate with oil painting acrylic painting watercolor uh, as opposed to silkscreen but then about two years ago, Barbara and I were talking, Barbara Domsky and I were talking about uh, where we wanted to go with the gallery. And she wanted to push more of a pop art type of theme. And she said, could you paint in a pop art style? And I said, I love pop art. And silkscreen was my first passion, which is a, what pop art really came out of originally. I said, I will do a pop aesthetic. Let's call it that, because pop art, pop art was a movement. And there's, there's a lot associated with that movement. But I love the aesthetic when you think of the Lichtensteins or you think of Warhol, of course, uh, that the aesthetic that it, they brought with the bright colors, the using iconery that is up from the pop uh, popular uh, iconery, let's call it. Um, so that's where I started this style that I call kind of pop Americana. And the reason I'm calling it that is because every image that I've done is of somewhere or something American. These are very American. They're very American, yes. And uh, not to say that my album art series won't start reflecting some of because, you know, I love the British invasion. If you really look at what the British invasion was, is a reflection back to America of what we had shown them. Yes. But 
it was through the black artists that the British were shown this music. But it couldn't be played in America, regrettably, at the time or in, in a popular format. So the Brits brought it back to us. And that's when it became popular music, interestingly enough. I mean, and I'm breaking it all down so uh, simply, but even the British music that we're familiar with has that American touch, if you will, as kind of the blues, uh, you know, and what they did and what the Stones were listening to blues, the Beatles were listening to blues, you know, uh, the Yardbirds, were, uh, John Mayall and his blues breakers, you know, they were reflecting the blues coming out of America, but then impacting these artists like with Mayall, it was Clapton, Page, you know, all these artists that we know and love uh, coming out in part of the uh, British invasion were actually... Uh, uh, influenced by these blues uh, greats. Um, anyway, I just, <laughs> I love this thing I do, as you can tell. Yeah, I, I could end up- And, and music and really music. has an impact on it. It does, it's had a big impact on me and it was kind of interesting that I was able to start doing this series, which wasn't necessarily intended, but it just kind of was a natural progression that started occurring. One day we were already working on a pop art series and Barbara and I were talking once again about what could I do for a show? And she's like, you know what would be cool? is album covers. I love album covers. I remember as a child uh, getting albums and just sitting down, and I think all of us from that era know, remember that, that moment of awe of tearing that plastic off and looking at that album cover while we're listening to the music and taking in all the details because those album covers were works of art, you know, and uh, some of them were just, uh, you know, when you think of 65 and earlier, almost all of them were a picture of the image of the uh, musician. A lot of times it looked like what a few years later became cutting and pasting on Xerox machine. Uh, if you look at like uh, Chubby Checker's album, first one, even Elvis Presley's first one, the letters, the way they're just like cut and pasted on top of a photograph. Uh, Johnny Cash's first album is like little images. One of them is a cut out of his head and then another one of him and then one of his guitars. I think it was called uh, his red and blue guitar or something like that. But uh, uh, so being able to then reinterpret this artwork in, in a way uh, was what Barbara and I were talking about was, well, how can we then do a show uh, that incorporates that? And so it was a slow build. I did one or two as I found my way into what I really wanted to do. Uh, the first one I did was the Lover Boys uh, Get Lucky. Part of it was uh, the strong imagery, it was really easy to just immediately uh, create from that. And then I wanted to change the colors of the album because that one's, he's wearing red leather pants and the whole album is basically red. And so I wanted to totally change that up. And, but yet still tip my hat to the red in that it is in there. Uh, but. That one, it wasn't quite where I wanted to go with it, but it helped me to realize. And that was your first one? And that was the first one in this series. And why that one? 
I happened to have a stack of albums that I just grabbed from the house. I was here at the gallery oh, yeah. and I was like, well, there's a strong image that I can quickly sketch out and uh, mock up. And that's why it was easier uh, for me to quickly do it. I mean, I enjoyed, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Loverboy's music at the time, still appreciate it, uh, but they're not in the top of my favorites. And I don't know that they had a big impact on me, except for I remember uh, friends dating girls that loved, you know, Loverboy. So, you know, uh, it just seemed like... Come over uh, to my apartment. Exactly. Come over and listen to Loverboy. And there was... Uh, I would say that the 33 to 3rd albums um, have not outlived the covers, but they're back. Oh, yes. Well, my son, who is, uh, he'll be 30 coming up, my middle child, he loves music even more than me, and he, he has an ear for it. I just know what I like, where he can break down every song with everything. Um, but he loves music, and his final is where he has started going. And, and, and I still have about, between my wife and I, about probably 500 albums. Really? Yes. And uh, so he is... A few of them have matriculated into his collection, which, of course, our kids will allow that to happen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, depending on the album. Some of them, they're not going to uh, leave uh, our possession. Well, my cousin still, he has a big album collection. He's retired. He lives in uh, Flagstaff. Okay. And he takes care of his records. Oh, I mean, oh yeah, with the I zero stat. We played our records. He, yep. he, he wipes them down. Yeah, that's the way we yeah, do everything it. Everything is just perfect. Yep. Now, some of my earliest ones I didn't do that with. I didn't realize. You know, I used to stack them on a stackable turntable and drop them. And, yes. You know, not realizing that every time you drop, well, you're going from zero to whatever the speed of the, the 33. It's going to be some friction. So you're wearing out your album every time it drops. And I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you were wearing your grooves down. Now, his, my cousin down there, his brother was my age. And we were pretty much best friends growing up. And I'll tell you about it. A trip to we lived in Maryland and we would go to Ocean City mm. and we were on Ocean City in his 57 Chevy and his radio wasn't working so he had this little battery oper operated record oh my goodness it was my job <laughs> on the way down there to play the records and if a bump was coming up was to lift the needle to lift the needle that's so funny <laughs> but then on that on the one trip I think it was uh, Memorial Day trip um, we left the record sitting on his back oh, in his back window no, oh, no. and we came out and they were I mean, now, luckily, he didn't borrow them from his older brother because he would have been in a lot. <laughs> he might have gotten hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing eight tracks that had been sitting in the car. And if you don't leave them on the dash, if you're going to leave had, them in the car, you got to put them down you low. You had to bring up eight tracks. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're part of our history, you know. Yeah, they are. Does anybody have one that works anymore? Maybe I don't Pawn know. Stars. It may be. I still have my favorite eight, my favorite albums that were on eight track. I still have. The very first one I got, my best friend gave me his older brother's <laughs> uh, Foreigner first album. So that one had come out in 78, but I didn't get it until 80. And I, I, I wore that thing out. In fact, at the time, 
I couldn't listen to the Foreigner album without thinking the click was going to happen in the middle of one of the songs because I, I knew exactly where the clicks would happen and that was part of the listening experience back in the day I was telling my wife and I were talking about that just the other day and I'm like but now I couldn't tell you where those clicks were but there was a time when I could tell you exactly oh the clicks coming you know <laughs> uh, you might know uh, you know if I were listening to the actual uh, uh, 8-track anymore but and then there was another one that I still have but uh, it's kind of funny because it's uh, lip sync uh, funky town that one did get melted but in order to salvage it I was able to gently cut the box so you can see the tape on the reel in there but that was able to uh, I was still able to play that lip sync album <laughs> or uh, eight track tape because Funky Town was one of those that uh, it did uh, that was very uh, impressionable uh, I was a very impressionable 17, 18 year old kid when that came out and I loved that one back in the disco days Because I've uh, broken this up into planes, usually because I'm right-handed, I'll start on the left hand and work the left side and work my way across. And then, in order to not smear my lines, I'll usually have a piece of paper that I just move across. But on this one, because I'd already started on the, the main color, the red, I was I haven't used the paper anymore. And since it's acrylic, it dries quickly. So and living in the desert, it dries really quickly. So I was able to quickly turn it over and move around. Uh, but usually I start on the left side and work my way across uh, on these smaller ones. Do you sketch out before you start? Yes, yes. And honestly, uh, this series, a lot of it I'm doing in Photoshop first because once again... Well, I, am, I am watching you look at your phone. Yeah, and so I'll build it in Photoshop. Uh, I create, my, get my colors figured out, get my breaking my planes down mostly. There'll be some changes that occur uh, as I'm painting. And then uh, I'll even use my computer monitor as my light box. So I'll just paint uh, uh, tape, blue, use blue tape, uh, tracing paper to my monitor. Because used to, I do a printout and then take that printout to my light box and then trace it off the printout. And then one day I was like, why? I can do it off the, I mean, I've already got, I'll take, I basically took two steps out of the process. Um, and, so it's it's just the opportunity I, I just use every tool at my disposal and you know i did graphic design for years so it's hard not to say, use yeah. a tool that i had all those years uh and i i love sitting down at the computer and creating but not near as much as i love painting i love painting i just get lost in it and uh nowadays that's it's easier for me to just go right to the canvas, you know. Uh, don't spend as much time on the computer or any more time than I have to. <laughs> and don't ask me why. It's just kind of a natural transition that occurred. And who knows, the next couple of years, I may go back around the other way, yeah. you know. As a creative, yeah. I just kind of go with the flow of what's working for me. Now, what, what, was, what would you say that your 
breakthrough commercial piece was? Commercial PC. Are you talking about whenever I was One working? Sold. Okay. Oh my goodness. And we'll take that around and you can tell me what your breakthrough piece was to your heart. Okay. Um, the very first time I sold a piece that was for a significant little money, I mean, it was $300 for watercolor painting, which at the time we're talking the early 90s. So, you know, uh, that would be a watercolor piece that I did that I was had done in a cubist style. And a lady came up at, at a show we had at the college and she walked by and I'd priced it thinking I'd priced it high enough to keep it, you know. <laughs> so uh, you could keep it. So I could keep okay. it because it was one of my wife's favorites, one of my favorites. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll follow up on that. Uh, but uh, she walked up to it and she immediately was just like, I'm buying this one and got her checkbook out and wrote that checkbook and I wrote that check and it was the first time that I'd had somebody just totally react to a piece in front of it where they were ready to part with their money. I mean I'd heard people all my life saying oh that's great I love that it's beautiful but to have somebody and I priced it in such a way that it was one of the more expensive pieces at this student art show and yet it was sold, and you know, everybody's like, hey, Don, what is this? And, and to me, it was like, oh my God, my painting, it did sell. I didn't want to sell that. I gotta go home and tell my wife. Yeah, actually, she was with me, and she she was like, oh, you sold that one, you know, kind of. A, she was uh, she was happy with me, too. But what we ended up doing was, because I had taken some good slides, I always, now I scan every painting as I finish. Before I call it done, it's scanned and saved. Uh, but because I had taken slides of that one I went and got it uh, reproduced so we still have that painting but as a print now um, but so that would be the one that uh, was probably the one that just made me realize this is a doable thing you can impact people and cause them to want to part with their money uh, you know because we all our money is hard-earned and it takes something to impact us enough to say I want to spend some of this on a, something you created yes. um, as far as on a large scale I didn't actually make the money off of this one. Uh, one of the things that I do is I donate uh, yearly to the Cure for the Kids, and they have a uh, circus couture event. And at, in the years past, they would have an art show here and there, and then they would sell some art there that was donated, or they would have a live auction. And so one year I was featured, 2014, and I did a uh, 30 by 40 painting that I love. I would call it in the style that I was working in, the magnum opus of that style that I was working in. Uh, I called it Unlocked. Um, anyway, it was auctioned off and, and uh, it was exciting because in the live auction it really was aggressively pursued by a couple of people and it ended up making $6,000 for that charity. So that, interestingly enough, my biggest sale was one that didn't go into my pocket. but still so proud and in fact it hangs in Spain now the guy that bought that one uh, lived in uh, one of the uh, uh, the tall towers uh, apartment of towers right across from the strip and uh, he and his wife he was working uh, with Chris Angel at the time as what I think he was called the uh, 
It's a short guy. What was he called? Oh, I can't remember. But anyway, he was the comic relief during the uh, uh, Chris Angel's stuff. And uh, he has since moved with his family to Spain. But he sent me a photo of it hanging okay. in his new home. And, yeah, we still stay in touch. It's kind of cool getting to meet people that love your work. And then because of it, you end up staying in touch with some of them. You know, it's really kind of a cool experience. Well, it does. It does mean a lot. Because now they own a piece of my art, and there's a connection that occurs because of that. Especially when you think about how much he spent on it, you know, and that he loved it that much, that it was worth that much for him. And uh, whenever he first uh, had it in the uh, Lofts apartments that he was at, uh, in, in that apartment building, he had a photo that he sent me, and it was really cool because in the window that was looking out, you could see Las Vegas right across the highway, and right beside it was this painting. So one of his favorite place to sit was where that painting was, which that, that's one of the best feelings you can have, is somebody be impacted by your work that much. Uh, and yeah. So that was that would probably be the two that uh, are, you know, to answer your question. Yeah, both of them are a good story. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, do you, do you number yours? Chronologically, I don't have them numbered or no, anything. I mean, do you number so if, if I was if I had, was lucky enough and had enough money, I would have bought your Janice Joplin. Mm -hmm. Would on the back of it would it have said one of one? Oh no, because those are originals. I, I don't need to do that. Okay. Uh, now, if I was doing prints and it was a one of a kind, that would be a mono print or a, a one of one. But. Uh, and with a with silk screening, of course, you you need to identify that because there could be more. And so I do have some silk screen editions I did in the past. But no, these are originals. There are no prints. Uh, I, I take that back. I made a print of two or three of them, but they not what I'm happy with. So I haven't sold any prints of those. And if I did, then I would number those. Uh, but I'm not honestly. I'm not comfortable selling these as prints. And the reason is. For example, I love Boston, and I looked forward to doing that album and reinterpreting that album. In fact, that, that one is sold. Uh, it is owned by a studio, but they, uh, a recording studio, but they actually allowed me to borrow it back for the show. Okay. And I could make, and I did make a print to swap him so he'd have it hanging on his wall. Uh, while in, but I don't want to sell prints because Boston's logo is on there and it could be confused with their marketing tools and their product. And I don't want to sell, I don't want to get a cease and desist from Boston. You know, I love them. I don't want them to be mad at me about anything. You know what I mean? And so I tip my hat to them. I love them. That's why I did a painting of their album. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to do anything that would step on them. And so I try to not. And, that, and I feel that same way about every all of them. I just use Boston as an example. Um, that I just did. I wouldn't want Michael Jackson's family to, or you know, estate to reach out to me and say, 
cease and desist, you know. No, I loved that Off the Wall album. And I enjoyed reinterpreting it and tipping my hat to it because it did have an impact in my life. 1980 is when that one came out, 79, 80. And uh, I, that's when I was discovering popular music as an as a 18-year-old. And uh, I, I don't want to mad at me. <laughs> just continue to do what I do. I'm just painting. I'm looking at uh, trying to uh, submitting to galleries around uh, the library locally. They have uh, for submissions right now uh, running into early March. And so I've got some ideas about what I would like a show to look like just starting in another similar style. We're using this Pop American style, Pop Americana style, but uh, with different subject matter. Um, I don't want to go into details until I get it all hammered oh, out. Yeah. But uh, then continue to do the album art series as there, I still have pieces that want to be like Nora Jones was just one day I was like oh yeah I need to do Nora because I remember how she affected me in 2002 when this album came out and uh, and how it was a, an important time in my life this transition time that's when I found out I wasn't gonna be working in Norfolk anymore and was looking for a job so those moody blues that that style of hers uh, it uh, fit that time frame for me so uh, so there'll be other uh, of these that I do. I uh, just got finished dropping off a piece, one of my older pieces for a show called uh, Home Sweet Home is the name of the show. It's going to be at the Rotunda Gallery in the government building, uh, uh, the Clark County government building down on uh, its uh, Bonneville and... Uh, Casino Center? No, Grand Grand Central Parkway over there. And uh, so keep getting in the shows, just doing what I do. Uh, public art, still putting out for public art. Uh, got my name on the list of mural uh, people that they would recommend for muralists. Uh, once again, got the wraps that are just starting to show up around uh, town. So it's exciting to see my work out and about. And I'm going to continue to try to get more and more of my work into the public eye because that's where it's at. A friend of mine is a photographer. He put up a, a picture of you. I probably talk Klaus. Oh, yeah, Klaus. Klaus. Yeah, Klaus. yeah. I love his beard. I was yeah. like, hey, wait a minute. That's the guy I want to hear. <laughs> and I would dare say he's the youngest guy his age I've ever met. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the youngest guy. His age, because uh, he just seemed a lot younger than when we talked. He surprised me. <laughs> yeah, him and his wife are good people. Yeah. And they're doing, I want to get them done because they're doing a, a dog, a, a, um, a shepherd rescue. Oh, okay. Well, wow. I've got a good friend that does, uh, she, she raises shepherds, but also rescues them uh, in Oregon. Uh, used to be in Oklahoma, moved her whole yeah. kid caboodle into Oregon a few years ago does really good work with uh, the shepherds also so may have to see if we can connect those two because I think uh, they and they may already already know of each other who knows yeah they might I, I, I need to find time to, to get her on a, on a podcast yeah I enjoyed meeting Klaus and uh, he took me out to, to photographs and then he did a really nice article on the uh, on the uh, traffic boxes yeah 
in that program. Interviewed two or three other of us artists uh, that were in that group and uh, did a really nice article on it. Yeah, he's a guy and happily retired. Yes. I think he stayed retired. I think he's, well, if you call, what, just like you, if you call yourself retired, do you stop? <laughs> yeah, don't make any money. But <laughs> right. You got to yeah. keep doing that. Keep so, last up. question. All right. Um, Don, what's um, inspired you this week? What's inspired me this week? Hmm, that's a good question. You can drop back a month or whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I'm working on right now, it was inspired over the weekend. I'm listening to music. I'm like, all of a sudden, there's Nora Jones playing on the jazz uh, Pandora station that I set up. And I was like, oh, I need to do a Nora. So I would call that an inspiration. Uh, seeing other art, I am always looking at other art. Um, I can't think of anything that just off the top of my head, uh, any artist that I can name. I just remember seeing a couple of pieces, you know, scrolling through Instagram, you know, the quick little uh, tidbits, a couple of uh, international artists that just pop up. Uh, I saw a couple of pieces that were like, oh, you know, and I love that feeling when I see something that causes me to go, oh, you know, <laughs> when you're seeing art because, you know, when you get my age and you've been to every museum you can possibly get to and and you look at everything you can possibly about the artist you love, um, you think you've, you don't think you've seen it all, but you look forward to those moments when another artist surprises you. So um, art and creativity is yes. just all around us. Yeah, it is. And as long as there's imagination, yes, you know, there's yep. there's new art. Right. That's exactly true. And sometimes it's not what you would think it's art, but it's art. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, Don, thank you very much. I've been wanting. Steve, it's, it's been a pleasure. I get to check off Don Michael <laughs> Jr. off my bucket list. Well, because it's... this has been an important one. Well, thank you. I've got to go to Vegas. <laughs> Well, thank you. And it all started with us meeting at a traffic box. <laughs> there you go. All right, Don. Thanks a lot. Uh-huh. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the art box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association. <laughs>